Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, musicians, platform workers, ushers. We appreciate your ministry. Church, we thank you for your generosity here uh, this evening. Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We have been um, speaking about marriage these last probably three weeks, Sunday evenings, leading up to the uh, Valentine's Day seminar that we'll be doing on Tuesday. Um, the first sermon we spoke about was about being a power couple. Uh, we spoke about coming together and doing something for God. Then last week we spoke on husbands and the role of a husband um, in the marriage. So tonight, women, it's your turn. Praise God. So tonight we're going to be speaking about this. Um, last week we were challenged as men, so tonight my goal is to make us better. First Peter chapter three verses one through six. There was a um, there was a a group of women that came together, a women's club, and they were lecturing on marriage. And there was a woman speaker there, and she asked the audience a question. And the question is, how many of us wanted to mother our husbands? That was her question. So she's looking at the crowd. She's waiting. How many of you guys wanted to be your husband's mom? And then a lady rose her hand in the back. One member in the back rose her hand, and then she said, wait, you wanted to mother your husband? And she said, mother? I thought you said smother. <laughs> so today, I want to speak on the role women have in context to her husband. So I've preached before on motherhood. I've preached before on womanhood in context to society. But today, I want to speak on what we gave a title to as wife. Maybe you might not be married here today. You can take notes, consider this advice. But today, we're going to be speaking about the wife. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Says likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of the of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. But this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. I want to preach a sermon that I've entitled, A Woman Who Adorns Herself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for this moment you've given us. God, I pray for a special anointing tonight, God, a minister. God, on this topic, on this subject, Lord, I have no confidence in my flesh, Father, but I have full confidence in your spirit. I hide behind your cross tonight. God, I do not come in my talents, my abilities, Father, but I pray that you'll begin to speak to people, God. God, you begin to touch minds and hearts. We thank you, Lord, for all the women in our church, our sisters, God, even the wives in this place, for what they do. God, I pray, make us better tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, 
Amen. I want to start off with my first thought, and that is how the world views the role of a wife. The roles in marriage are not malleable. We don't have the right to adjust them. We don't have the right to change them. We don't have the right to custom make them or tailor them to our liking. Roles in marriage are well defined in the Bible and are to be used as a foundation. The word foundation or foundational is something that we build on that will sustain the weight and limit any shifting. When foundational, when the understanding of roles in marriage become a foundation, it allows for personality. It allows, it allows for uniqueness to thrive. The problem is we see, or many times we see, is that people exchange what is foundational for the extra. They'll skip and they'll do shortcuts. Like if you, like if you were here for the Sunday school, you heard Pastor Greg speak about the bridge that collapsed. It was this bridge that the architect um, skipped on a standard that's called the 100-year flood. Bridges are built to the 100-year flood uh, standard. This means that there are floods in the century uh, time frame that happen once in a century, and the bridge should be able to withstand that. He said, I'm going to skip that. And a man of God in our fellowship, a pastor actually passed away because somebody skipped the standard, skipped the foundation, skipped what he should have done. The role of marriages are to be built on. We use it as standards. God designed roles in marriage to withstand our shortcomings, to withstand any attacks from hell. And when we don't do this, when we begin to change things, it becomes a big problem because what's extra cannot withstand the weight and force. Your marriage cannot live off of your personality. It cannot live off of your charisma. It definitely won't live out of just your physical appearance because we're all going to get old one day. And appearance will change. See, the role of a wife in a marriage is just as important as that of a husband's. We live in a time where words are being redefined. No doubt you might have, you've heard the film that was the famous one by Matt Walsh, which is What is a Woman? And he will go around just asking people, random people, even professionals, what is a woman? And we live in a time where words are just redefined. If they'll give it a different definition as long as it, as it benefits their own, their own agenda. Can we define woman tonight? It's an adult female human being. It's an adult female human being. But that's not my goal here tonight. I want to define what the word wife is. The first biblical reference to a wife is found in Genesis chapter 2 when God made a woman from Adam's rib. Genesis 2 verses 21 through 25. It says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. 
And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here we find first the concept of one flesh relationship in marriage established by God himself. This isn't a Western idea. It isn't an American idea, but it is an idea that came from God. The word wife comes from a Hebrew word. In our text, it's isha, which is a feminine form of ish, which means husband. It's literally saying somebody that's tied to a relationship like a husband, but it's a female. As the woman was the extension from the man, the word wife is also an extension from the word for man. In our text, Paul is speaking specifically to wives that are married to husbands who are unbelievers. So think about this. First Peter 3 verse 1 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, it's talking about somebody that's an unbeliever, they may be one without a word. It is specifically speaking to a, 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 a unique group of women. They're married to men who are unbelievers. But in this advice, we see the role of a wife and the power it carries when followed. Peter's actually encouraging what will be women who in their culture actually held no rights. So I want you to follow me today. I'm going to try to go through this quickly. Um, and I want to give you, you guys just the culture context of our text. So again, he's speaking to women who are married to men who are unbelievers. So under Jewish law, wives were just property. Her husband, in the same way that he owned sheep and his goats, was the same way that he owned his wife. On no account could she leave him. Although he could dismiss her at any moment, this was just the reality of women at that time. You could speak about Greek civilization. That in the, in the Greek civilization, women were to just remain indoors and to be obedient to her husband by no means am I saying that I agree with these things, but it's just the reality of what women lived at that moment. The Greeks said a woman must see as little, hear as little, and ask as little as possible. She had no kind of independent existence and no kind of mind of her own. Her husband could divorce her as long as she returned her dowry. The word dowry means the money value that she brought to the relationship. Under Roman law, a woman had no rights at all. In Roman law, as a matter of fact, she remained forever a child. There's a law that's uh, patria potesta, which means that it gave the father the right even of life and death over the woman. And when she married, she passed equally into the power of her husband. Today, we have something similar at work to these things that try to box up women, and that is feminism. Say with me, feminism. It's an extreme opposite way. I know feminism many times is, is this way to all oh, liberate women and stuff and all these things. But in reality, it's attempting to derail women from operating in her God-given role. And the danger lies in the fact that you don't have to be a feminist. You don't have to subscribe to feminism to fail to operate as a godly wife. I gave you this context for this reason. Because here Peter is encouraging women who don't 
have a say-so. In, her, in their mind, they're thinking, I have nothing, no influence, no right in this relationship. For a woman to convert to Christianity would be something out of this world. And, she, and if she did it, she, in her mind, she would think, I, I can't do anything about her husband. Peter says, yes, you can. He says, if you'll be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct, conduct of their wives. And it's this exaltation, if you will, from a very low place, saying you have a place, you have a voice, and it has to do with your husband. I'll move on to my second thought. That is the adorning effect. Adorning in our text comes from a very simple place, and it is a place of obedience. The word adorning, by definition, means the adding of beauty. The picture here that he's trying to paint is of a woman who is in front of her mirror and already beautiful in the way that God made her. But she styles herself a little bit different. She's got a palette of different colors she can use for makeup. She shapes her image. She curls or straightening her hair, and she's just adding beauty. She's adorning herself. Are you with me here tonight? One person, it sounded deep. It <laughs> sounded like a guy. <laughs> Are y'all with me here tonight? Adorn, the Greek word, actually comes from cosmos, which refers to the time that God was making the universe, which I think is so incredible when the Bible speaks about a woman adorning herself, the word is relating to when God was making the world. How many of you guys have ever been to the aquarium? And you see these fishes, and you look at them, you're like, God, you made that? I didn't even know you had that color crayon. <laughs> you know, it's like, but you're looking at it, and you're like, man, you're so, God, you're like, you're just having, like, I look at the clownfish, and I'm like, you're just having fun. You could have just made it gray like a mojara. But you decided to mess with it. You decided to add stripes and, and all these things and just add beauty on top of beauty. And this is the picture of adorning. It says that there's a place where women do that in the sight of God. Adorning is all the details and all the beauty layered, layer on top of layer on top of layer. Peter in our text refers to a wife's adorning to her obedience. But not just this outward obedience, it's this obedience to an inner attitude. An inner attitude towards her role as a wife. First Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let the, your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. The first priority to thrive as a wife is to accept and understand your God-given role. If you, don't, if you don't understand your role, you don't know what to do. This is a picture of maybe an athlete who is in a huddle and, and, the, and, and fo take football. The quarterback is trying to give us play, and he's saying all these random words because they should know the plays, and they say, all right, break. They clap, and they take off. And the guy's like, I don't know where to go. Where should I stand and where, what should I do? And this is the picture of somebody not understanding his role 
in a play. When a woman becomes a wife, her way of impact has now become united with her husband's. I want you to understand that. When a woman becomes a wife, her impact, her way of making an impact in this world has now become one with her husband's. It is this selfless place where she fully confides in her husband's ability to lead, in God's ability to lead him. Now, that is easier said than done. Some women here, you're like, Pastor, I know what you're talking about. To fully confide in the ability of your man. Yes, your man. The one you sleep next to and snores all night. <laughs> the man that forgets the honey-do list. The man that might have some shortcomings, but still, you've united yourself. And you understand that not only is he going to lead you to where God wants you to be, but God is leading him also. When it is done, it's this beautiful unity, this beautiful thing. Once this is understood and accepted, the wife can move on. She can move on to adorning, adorning the hidden person. This understanding that, you know what, first, I am now a wife. And from there, you can layer on the beauty. Our scripture uses the word imperishable or the phrase imperishable beauty. It says that you can adorn yourself with imperishable beauty. It shows us that God thinks adorning and what he thinks about that and how beautiful it is on a woman. And it even breaks it down to what that means. It's almost like he gave you the makeup. And he said, these are the tools. This is what you need to do for the inner person, for that inner heart. This is the way you adorn it. And the first one we see in our text is gentle in quiet spirit. Do this with me. Shh. Right? Gentle in quiet spirit. Not loud and aggressive. Always interrupting. Trying to steal the attention. Trying to steal the praise and the affirmation that there's a difference between a woman of God and a woman of this world. Right, that a woman of God, when she walks in the room, she knows who she is. She knows she has a God in heaven who loves her. If she's married, she knows she's got a husband. And she has no attention that she needs to steal from anybody else. This is gentle and quiet spirit. The next thing we see is this submission. Submitting to her own husband. It's interesting to me that text that our scripture brings this very unique time that you see submitting to her own husband. Why did Peter have to say your own husband? And we can open it up and we can talk about it um, later. And we're like, well, I wonder why he said that. But he said it for a reason. This means that a woman, a wife, is to seek direction, guidance, and clarity physically and spiritually from her own husband. No doubt there are times when headship might get involved, but it's never in place of her husband. Usually it might have to do with church, ministry, or marital problems where counsel is needed, but for 99% of her life, her husband is there. And she, he is the headship. 
gentle and quiet, submitting to your own husband. Wife, you must trust the discipleship process in your husband. One of the harder things I've seen in ministry is when marriages come from, from not being saved to both of them converting and submitting into the house of God. I've, I got married in church, so there were some foundations already established. Just the blessing of doing things right, being young, um, and being able to be guided. But there's people who come in, they're already married. So they bring in some baggage. Can I get one person to say, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. Bring in some stuff. You know, you bring in some some things that you said before you got saved. We should make a t-shirt that says that. You know how they say those 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 t-shirts that, that say, um, um, don't count it against me because I didn't drink coffee or something like that. You know, like, wait till I drink coffee before you can hold things that I say. We should say, like, that was before I got saved. <laughs> Sorry for what I said before I got saved. There you go. But we bring, in, we bring in these things, and we have to wrestle with those moments. We have to wrestle with those things. The challenge for you is you're going to have to trust that discipleship is at work in your husband. So in our text specifically, it says gentle and quiet and submitted to your own husband. But we have a whole Bible that we can find advice. So let's go outside of our text and let's speak about Solomon. Solomon also gives us insight on that biblical role for a wife. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through, uh, verses 10 through 12, it says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. What an incredible thing. He says, I trust you. And he will have no lack of gain. Verse 12, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. You know, this is in the context of a very specific scenario. The, his, the historical idea of this, these verses is that men will come together in front of the gates of the city. And this was a social gathering. It's where they were fellowship. They will come together and they will play sequence and they will get the dominoes and play some spades and bring in tortillas and some fajita. They will take, the, you know what I'm talking about, right? They're fellowshipping, right? They're there and they're gathered together. And the point that Solomon is saying says, who can find a good wife that when they're together, she doesn't gossip about him? The word is discreet. That a wife is to be discreet. By definition, the word discreet means careful in one's speech or action. Especially in order to avoid causing offense or to gain an advantage. It's not even so much about being evil. It's just you talk too much. New Yorkers will say, say less. A discreet woman. A discreet wife keeps her intimate family life separate from others. What happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom. She's devoted to being good to her husband. Does not gossip to the girlfriends about him. She shares her heart with him as he does with her. He says the heart of her husband trusts in her. Listen, as a man this evening, I want to tell you, there is very few places that a man trusts his heart with. Very few people. And it's a blessing when it's, her, when it's his wife. It's this verbal intimacy that develops a deep trust 
and strengthens their bond to one another. There shouldn't be, wife, there shouldn't be any greater intimacy than what you find in your husband. No doubt I'm not speaking about a competition with Jesus Christ. Your husband is not your Messiah. But there is this unique place where there is this trust with the man that God gave you. Paul also gives further insight in the letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 5. It says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. Hold up. We're going <laughs> to, that's a crazy verse, but you can wrestle with that on your own, okay? Verse 2, but because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her Con, uh, conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Can I tell you that's true in 2024? All right, I didn't say it, so don't don't throw rocks at me. You can you can talk to God about it. it says likewise the husband, likewise is always there. Once a likewise is there, you, your, your amen doesn't feel as big, right? Likewise, the husband also does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Right, he's saying, you know what, listen, this is, this is, we're serving one another. Verse 5, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. That you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Verse 5 is not speaking about food, wife. He's not saying don't deprive him from food. He's not saying, you know what, to cook dinner for him every night. That's, that's a blessing. But another attribute of a wife is that a wife must be sexually faithful to her husband and provide for his needs. I didn't make this PG-13 because I'm, I'm going to move through this pretty quick. In our text, it says that the wife's body belongs to her husband, that she should not withhold herself. And this is for two reasons. Hear me out. It's to meet his needs to meet your own. And that might not completely make sense to a woman's mind, but it makes sense to Satan. And this is why it says, but then come together again so that Satan may not, may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It creates a physical intimacy that's exclusive to one another. It's this place where you say, you know what? I know I can help you in this area. Are you guys still with me? Paul in the letter to Titus also further teaches us things. Titus chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. I want to focus on something there, and that is working at home. A wife is to be the keeper of the home. Keeping of the home refers to house, house duties. And I, you might not like me after this sermon, but it's okay. House duties is cooking, cleaning, decorating. I, you know, I've never fought my wife over decorating things. That's just, that's just, I just, that's just me. I mean, you can... <laughs> I mean, you, 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 can, you can fight over the colors and stuff like that. I'm, I'm colorblind anyway. But, but um, that's like, listen, babe, I'll, I'll, I'll pay the mortgage. You, 
you take care of this, right? Household affairs. This is not to say, and hear me out, men aren't going to say amen to this, but I want you to hear me. This is not to say that the husband cannot do any of these things and should not help where to be needed. But hear me out. God has given the wife that role. Amen? We read it in Titus chapter 2. It says to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. They didn't have stay-at-home jobs at that moment. It was literally working with the home. One of the things that I've, I've taught men over time is, man, if your wife works, it's only fair that you help her with the housework. And if you don't want to do the housework, well, then make more money. And have her quit her job and let her do the housework. Sometimes it's us that we got to do better. See, when a wife keeps a home, it creates an environment to which her husband can come home and share time with his wife and his children. It also creates an environment where children can be raised with structure, with order. When I come home, my children, they have structure, they have a schedule. They're doing the, Titus is doing his work, Diago is making a mess, and, and the baby is sleeping or eating. I mean, one of those. But there's structure. All these things is what Peter is speaking about when he says adorn yourself. I want to close with my third point. That is precious in God's eyes. I want to read our main text so that we can come back to a place of agreement. Verse 1 says, likewise, wives, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in god's sight is very precious that's incredible see when you when it says that you need to pay attention to that you need to underline that verse and say if it's precious in his eyes that's what i'm going to do verse five for this is how the holy women who hoped in god used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands find your role models in the bible verse six as sarah obeyed abraham sarah will set a better example for you how to be a wife than Kim Kardashian. She will set a better example for you than anybody in Hollywood. Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and you are her children if you do good. But do not fear anything. That is frightening. God's eyes on people is always a reference of protection and favor. Psalms 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. 1 Peter 3, 12, 3, 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It was always when God's eyes is upon people, when his sight is upon somebody, it was always this favor, it was always this protection. And the Bible says about wives, when you do well, when you're gentle and quiet and submissive and have a pure and respectful conduct conduct in respect to your husband, 
in a context to your unbelieving husband. God says, that's precious to me. No doubt that's true also if you have a man who serves God. In our text, Paul, oh, I'm sorry, Peter says that the wives who focus is the adorning of the hidden person is precious to God. See, when a wife chooses God's way, it opens the door for the supernatural to happen in her home. I want you to understand this. Our text is speaking about conversion. It's speaking about a man who's not saved. I don't know about you, but it's very hard to change a man. Once a man is set in his ways, it's hard. Matter of fact, there's people here, you've been married close to a decade or even more, and you're still trying to get your husband to put his socks in the bin. <laughs> to clean the sink after he shaves. <laughs> to put the toilet paper correctly. Because... <laughs> To be very fair, we got b bigger things to conquer. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got a whole world we need to go take, take over, right? But think about it. He's speaking about the conversion of a man. And he says that if you were to be, if a woman was to be subject to her own husband, so that even if some do not obey the word, there may be one, say with me, one, one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Speaking about evangelism, when do you ever find in the Bible that a person can be one without speaking a word? You never find it. Because it's always the preaching of the gospel. It's always the heralding. It's always the lifting up your voice and declaring and standing in the street corner, going to the highways and byways and making disciples and baptizing them in Jesus. Here God, here uh, Jesus is saying that it happens at home with just a wife who can be an excellent wife. That is the supernatural place. Conversion, let me remind you, beloved, that salvation is miraculous. What happened to you that changed your direction from going to hell to going to heaven was a miracle. It was God stepping in, orchestrating. He was drawing you into him. It was a complete miracle. And it's always in the context of miracles. This is why we contend in spiritual warfare against hell. And everything we do in evangelism, when we preach, when we do our concerts, when we go and, and even follow up, this is stuff that we contend against. And here it says, it happens. You can win him over by simply being a wife. I think that's powerful. That a husband can be one without a word. When she becomes a biblical wife. That the miracle of salvation can happen in a person without speaking a word. And it's really just God saying, you have a place. You have a spiritual, supernatural, and important place as a wife. See, God's favor to a wife will always be linked to how she adorns herself for God. You know how whenever you go on a date with hubby <laughs> or honey or whatever you use, honey bunches, anyway, <laughs> you know, you, 
you get ready, you might have bought, bought a new dress or something, and you're looking in the mirror, you're getting ready, and you're thinking, man, we're going to take pictures together. You know, so I got to make sure my hair is right. I got to make sure my face is good. You know, I got to make sure that I'm looking good. You know, there's a place for a woman to adorn herself for God. There's somewhere you can get the sight of God to look at you and say, you know what, that's, that's precious to me. My challenge to you today, if you're married here in this place, so maybe you aspire to be married, that you will learn how to adorn yourself for God. You will learn how to prepare yourself for a spiritual God that's looking at you. Adorn yourself for God, adorning yourself for God means to operate in your God-given role. There's something attractive about a woman who says, you know what, I want to be the woman that God has called me to be. I want to be discreet, gentle, to work at home. I want to be a blessing to my husband. I want I want to do what God says. And it has to go beyond just simply trying to make the brother smile or trying to make him happy or, you know, this whole thing. I get it. We've heard it before. Happy wife, happy life. I get it. But that's just, that's, that's just not what we live for God. That the reason why I try to be the best husband I can be is because I know that God's favor will fall upon us. That you know what? That I love my wife enough to where I want to serve her and she does it back to me and our life belongs to one another because we just we're together this is where one flesh comes together see listen wife the greatest impact you will have will be in context to the role that god gave you and oh this is hard in 2024 where women all want the c-suites they want the CEOs, they want the CFOs, they want the COOs, that you know, you can go and do those things and listen, girl, if you want to do it, go and get it, that's fine. But when you become a wife, it's a whole different ballgame now. Because you've entered into something that was designed by God. And the way it's going to thrive is when we're obedient to God's word. This is true for husbands too. We got it last week. That there is a place where we have to operate too. And the greatest impact is going to be in those areas. And I want to encourage you here tonight. That you will consider this and say, you know what? I want to be all that God has called me to be. That you will take these scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 31, or 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You will take those and say, I'm going to take those and make a list. And say, I need to work toward those attributes. I need to work towards that. Because believe me, there's a hell that's working against you. We see it, we see it from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. Right? The fall of man, we see it that even God, when he's speaking to man and women, he's speaking to, to Eve and he's saying, your desire will always be to take the role of your husband. Your desire will always be to climb and continue to take on over. And we can see that in whenever roles begin to mix. When we start looking at one another as a threat, then things will fall apart. You have to be there to serve him. Just like he has to be there to serve you. Adorn yourself for God. Adorn yourself 
layer on beauties in the inner hearts and say, you know what, I want to be precious for God. I want to get ready for him. It's interesting that the church is described as the bride and that Jesus will come back for his bride. You've heard that before. And it's a bride that's going to be blameless, that's going to be pure. And the picture is this woman who got herself ready for that day. Listen, wife, you have a very powerful place to play. Not only in your family, but in this church. We read Titus where it says older women teach younger women. Can I tell you, there's younger women in our church that are watching you. The way you carry yourself, the way you act with your husband, the way you treat him, the way you operate in headship and in ministry. I'll close with a story. I was at a fellowship. I was next to some pastors. I was actually right next to a leader and one of the leaders of our fellowship. And we were there and we're in conversation and he leaned over and he leaned over and told me something. And it happened in context to somebody that was being very loud. There's a woman who was taking on all the attention, just talking and just, you know, doing this. And he leaned over and he said, hey, he's like, don't, don't be like that. So don't let your wife be like that. He said, you, you got to just be discreet. He said, let other people talk. And it's just this place, and I know that's very specific to, to what we're talking about, and we've mentioned a lot of things, but it's just this conscious place where it's like, you know what, God, you have something that you want me to be. And I've entered into this arena that you've designed. And we'll be naive, we'll be, we'll be really dumb to think that who we are is exactly what that needs. We need to become what God has called us to become men and women in this place. That the destiny that God has for us, the victory and the success that our marriages are, 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 are scheduled for, we're not that people. We need God to help us. And the whole goal with these classes is a very simple one. It is for couples to come together, for marriages to come together, for those that are single to pray for marriages, because one day you'll be up here too. But that you will come together and say, God, I want to be everything you've called me to be. Help me to be a help to my spouse, to my future spouse. Shape me, mold me, change my mind. If I got some preconceived notions, if I came here and I got some, some things. Listen, I, was, I, I got saved 18 years old. I never in my life saw a marriage succeed. All of, my, all of the marriages that were examples in my life, they're all divorced. My parents were divorced, and I never saw it. So when I came to the house of God, I finally saw it. But when I got married, I had things I needed to work out in me. There were things that I needed to get out that just weren't right. And we'll come to a place and say, the kingdom of God, my church, needs me to be an example in this area. The strength of a church is its marriages. When the unity can come in those areas. We speak about unity all the time. You know where unity starts? It starts at home. It starts at home with your spouse. And then it 
builds off of that. A woman who adorns herself, God says, that's, a, that's precious to me. Can I get every head bowed and every eye closed? Every head bowed, every eye closed in respect to God, in respect to your neighbor. Thank you tonight for listening to this message. If you're here, maybe you're not a wife, I thank you. You can still learn from it, take notes, consider it, let God still work through it. God's word is, a, is it's the living word. It's supernatural. I've been in places where I've preached specific sermons and people will come and get saved and speak about what God has done in his life. And it's not close to what I preach, but God still spoke. You're here tonight. You're not saved. You're not right with God, but you want to change that. You want to give your life to Jesus. Quickly, that's you. Would you raise your hand? Not saved on the way to hell. You want to change that. Would you raise your hand in this place? Maybe you're backslid in a person who used to be right with God, but today you're far from him. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to reconcile, come back and say, you know what? I'm done running away from you, God. If that's you. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. Last call, not save or backslidden. But you want to change that. Would you raise your hand? I just want to pray with you. Amen. Very well. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to speak to the church. I want to change the order of the service. Church, listen, I, I, I'm trying to encourage our marriages here. Encourage them to seek the power of God in places where there might be impossibility that just thrives in our minds. You know, for a miracle to happen, the atmosphere does need to be impossible. Maybe you're here in this place, you're married, I want to thank you for engaging in what God has created, but I also want to encourage you, I want to strengthen you, I want to lift you up. So I understand. I understand what, what it all entails. I understand that there's a hell, an enemy, that wants to come against what God has created. Let's all stand up to our feet in this place, every single one of us. Let's stand up to our feet. These altars are open. I want to encourage you that you will come and get a hold of God. 